This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Maybe the player the Vegas Knights um, should have been looking at, after all, was Tage Thompson. Ooh, hot take day. Uh, welcome back to the program. Don't forget tonight, uh, across the network, got a couple of games starting early. Uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, New York Rangers, 7 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet. Good one there in the Metropolitan Division. The Blues face off against the Kraken. Uh, the Kraken, by way of um, winning percentage, should be second, but not by way of points. Uh, that's the Los Angeles Kings talking about the Central. And we have the Flames and the Sharks getting underway on Sportsnet West at 10.30. Meanwhile, tough one last night for the Vegas Golden Knights. No Eichel. Uh, again, misses his fifth game in a row. Here for a conversation about this one and a further sharpening of the pencil on what's going on with the Knights is Ben Goats from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Ben, how are you today? Not too bad. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, pleasure is all mine. Um, first of all, wide brush thoughts on what we saw yesterday, you know, because of, you know, obviously the Eichel deal, uh, games between the Buffalo Sabres, whether they're in Buffalo, whether they're in Vegas, are always going to have uh, a subtext and an extra layer on top as everybody measures off, you know, who's winning the trade, who's up on one another. Uh, how did you see yesterday's uh, you know, uh, win yesterday by the Buffalo Sabres over Vegas, albeit a one-goal win? Yeah, it's a one-goal win, but obviously the Sabres jump out to a huge lead, 3-0, in part thanks to a lot of the guys that they got in that Jack Eichel trade. Uh, Alex Tuck with speed through the neutral zone creates the Sabres. First, first goal, Peyton Krebs helps their third goal by winning a face-off, so they get out to this huge lead, and then the Knights really do push back, I mean, especially in the third period. They're firing everything they can at Uko Pekalukunen, and he just comes up with one of his games of the season. He came in with an 876 save percentage on the year. You're thinking this is a good opportunity for the Knights who have really struggled to score goals at home to kind of get back on track. And instead, he just comes up with a bunch of saves. He stands on his head. Uh, he finishes with 41. And the Knights just kind of keep banging their head against this wall. We're at home. They can't score in front of their fans. They had 11 goals in their past seven home games. You know that that is really one of the uh, one of the one of the weird things here. You know, uh, away from Vegas, fourteen two and one, just complete beasts on the road. You don't want Vegas coming to your town. Meanwhile, at home, eight and nine. Like we all thought that you know the the city itself was going to be you know uh, advantage for the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, get into Vegas, show up with some wobbly legs, uh, and all of a sudden the Vegas Golden Knights are taking two points. We didn't expect it was going to be the home team that would struggle in Vegas here. What gives? Yeah, it's been unreal. The biggest thing is, like I said, the offense has been completely uh, Jekyll and Hyde, where they are unbelievable on the road. They are the best road offense in the NHL. They're better than the Buffalo Sabres, the number one offense overall. And then they are the worst home offense. They are basically Chicago at home, and it's this crazy huge disparity uh, where the power play has been great uh, on the road. It's actually starting to come along a little bit at home. It's been the five-on-five offense that's really dried up lately. But that kind of chasm between those two performances, I think, had a lot of guys you know, on both the team and, of course, Coach Bruce Cassidy kind of scratching their head as to why it's that wide a gulf in terms of why they've been finishing at a huge league high rate. They have the NHL's best shooting percentage on the road. They're down to about 7% uh, at home. And 
you know, even though you would kind of expect that to be a statistical oddity, it does seem to be getting in their heads a little bit. Uh, last night against the Sabres, there were some good looks and some open nets that the Knights just misfired on. Uh, there's one power play look from William Carlson uh, in the first period where he just shot wide. And so you do wonder now that it's been happening for a while and guys are getting asked about it a lot, how much that is starting to creep into the Knights, how much they are maybe getting a little bit too fine with pucks gripping their sticks a little tight because it certainly seems like it's snowballing on them a little bit at T-Mobile Arena. You know, it's been a, uh, it's been a very pedestrian record uh, of late for the Vegas Golden Knights. And listen, this is a team that, I mean, we all know that when this team is healthy, they're one of the best teams, uh, not just in the Western Conference, but one of the best teams in the entire NHL. Um, but how concerning is this blip on the radar, if at all? I mean, listen, Kelly McCrimmon's a veteran. Bruce Cassidy's a veteran. Uh, does this recent recent stretch of games concern management or the coaching staff at all? I think there are definitely areas of the game where it has to be concerning. As you mentioned, they got off to this great start. They had a nine-game winning streak that pushed them to 13-2. and two. Since then, they're 9-9-1. Nine, nine and one after last night's loss. Part of that has been injuries where Eichel's been out of the lineup with a lower body injury. Shea Theodore's now out of the lineup and expected to be out week to week. Zach Whitecloud's out month to month uh, with an injury. Alex Petrangelo was gone for a good chunk because of a family situation. So they have been shorthanded and down a lot of their key guys. But there are still aspects of this team that I think they can look at and be concerned. A big one uh, right now, especially after last night, is going to be how do they get consistency and production out of their third line, and specifically Phil Kessel, who, because Jack Eichel was out, started on the first line last yeah. night. He mishandled a puck on a breakout that leads to Buffalo's second goal, and then he gets demoted uh, to the third line. And in the third period where the Knights are you know, down goals, trying to push for offense, Phil Kessel only gets – on the ice for 40 seconds. So it seems like they're really struggling to figure out how to get the most mm-hmm. out of uh, their third line, especially when Kessel's on it right now. Uh, obviously, goaltending is something that's just going to be a season-long topic with this team. Uh, for the most part, Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill have far exceeded expectations in terms of keeping uh, this team afloat and keeping this team successful in a lot of games. But lately, it's started to be a tougher road uh, for both of them, Aiden Hill had a pretty down November. He's been okay in December, but last night was not his best, and Bruce Cassidy kind of hinted at his no. displeasure with that. And it's been the same for Logan Thompson, who had an awesome November, NHL's Rookie of the Month, but it's been more of a slog for him as well. And these are two younger guys who obviously aren't used to playing this much in the NHL so far. So I think that's something that they have to you know, monitor is how much of this is these guys hitting a wall. How much can they push through? What expectations can we have for them moving forward? You know, this is a, this is an organization that we all know is not very patient. This is not an organization that wants to let things marinate. This is a hands-on um, manager. This is a hands-on and very demanding owner as well. Is there one obvious area that if you're – you know, inside of Kelly McCrimmon's brain right now, GM of the Vegas Golden Knights, you're saying, this is where we need to address. I don't know how we're going to do it because of the cap space issue, et cetera, but is there one area that you would say is the most concerning from the GM's chair? Yeah, I would have to say, uh, to go back to that third line point, I think they need a top 
nine uh, forward. I think that's their kind of biggest thing right now. They entered the year with a clear top six in terms of Chandler Stevenson, Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, and then, of course, the misfit line of Jonathan Marcheseau, William Carlson, mm. uh, Riley Smith. But underneath those guys, there's just a lot of questions. The fourth line has actually been very consistent this year. I think they're doing what Bruce Cassidy wants. He trusts them. He likes them. He actually starts games with them most of the time. But that third line has just been a rotating cast full of question marks uh, all season. And now, especially with the fact that, you know, you put Phil Kessel on the bench for a lot of last game, you either need to figure something out there or get him some help that can get the most out of Phil Kessel on that line. Right now they're running with two young guys, Jake LeCision and Jonas Rombeard. Yep. Uh, so there's, I think, the potential to go get someone there that either changes the way that you want that line to play, whether you want to make it more of a defensive line, or get another guy who can complement Phil Kessel and be able to help him create offense from that line because right now it's just does lacks an identity and they're not getting a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the key focus for them moving forward here. Let me, uh, let me close on this one. Um, listen, I looked at it as if, you know, listen, uh, you're a defenseman, you're chasing a puck, you can't turn into a hit, but that's what happened. How did you see the Kolasar hit on Ilya Labushkin last night? What was your take on it? Uh, my take was that it defied physics. Uh, I cannot believe how much Steve <laughs> Kolasar got him in the air. Yeah. It was one of the most incredible hits I've yeah. ever uh, seen live. I was completely blown away uh, when it happened. And I think even guys on the ice and on the bench seemed surprised as to the outcome uh, of that play. Uh, as you said, I mean, debating whether exactly the legality of it is a little bit tricky to me, but uh, it was an amazing, incredible hit and one that I'm sure Kiko Kolasar is going to have framed in his room before too long because I really oh, yeah. still have no idea how he got Labushkin's body to do that. I had no idea how he got Labushkin to spin like that in the air. Like, we've seen wacky hits before and, and dangerous hits before, but I'm with you. Like, uh, what was the law of gravity around uh, Labushkin last night on that hit? Uh, because he seemed to defy it. Uh, listen, Ben, this has been great. Thanks, uh, thanks uh, so much for stopping by. Best of the holidays to you and your family, and we'll catch up in the new year, my friend. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Happy holidays. Uh, there he goes. Uh, ben Goats covers the Vegas Golden Knights. By the way, Vegas got a couple of games before the break. Tomorrow they're facing off against the Coyotes. Uh, and then on the 23rd, they'll face off against the St. Louis Blues uh, before packing it in and coming back to face off against the uh, the Kings and the Ducks uh, back-to-back on the 27th and 28th. Let's bring Matt Marchese in here, uh, our producer. So no shortage of things from, from last night specifically, Matty. Uh, to go over. Uh, I'm still endlessly fascinated by, you know, the Kale McCarr situation. Uh, the Oilers dropped a tough one to the Preds. Nugent Hopkins with a pair of goals. That's nice for him. The Bruins, you know, smack around another team. 7-3, they beat the Florida Panthers. Uh, Ovechkin still gripping it, uh, facing off against Gordie Howe's former team, the Detroit Red Wings, uh, unable to find the back of the net because, you know, Gustafson is, seems to be scoring all the goals there uh, for the Caps. What stood out from last night for you, Matt Marchese? The the ever so entertaining zero zero go into a sh- uh, into a shootout <laughs> game between the Avs and Islanders because oh, I, I know the Avs are battling right now and it's with all the injuries yeah. it, it's been a struggle but man that Evan Rodriguez goal in the shootout was lights out good nice yeah yeah I know 
It's a nice player, man. That guy is just loaded, uh, loaded with skill. Like I, I always, you know, what I feel worst for. Uh, I always feel bad for people that buy tickets to the zero zero game going into either overtime or the shootout, specifically the shootout, because man, you haven't had a ton to cheer for. Like the story of the uh, the story of the season so far has been increased offense and lead changes. This was one of those games where you didn't get any of that excitement. Like it's been an exciting league so far. Like going into Christmas when we're going to look back here in a couple of days and say, well, what's the season been like so far? Season's been awesome. Season's been great. Um, I think a lot of us would have looked at that game and said, like if you were going to pick a 0-0 game from last night's schedule, you might have looked at that one and said, I could see a 0-0 game from the Islanders. Not so sure I would see the same for the Colorado Avalanche, but there it was. How did you see the uh, the Makar wave off of the uh, tripping call? I I thought I've thought about this so much, and I, I firstly I can't believe he did it because I mean in in any game, you know you may feel that you got slighted on a call, and so you take advantage of every opportunity you get for another team to get a penalty. And I'm sure there's been times where Kale McCarr has felt, ah, that was probably a penalty on me and they didn't call it. And in this case, I mean, did they get the call right? Sure. But if if I'm, like, I'm taking every advantage that I can get, and that would be, oh, they made a bad call, so I'm going to take advantage of it and we're going to go to the power play. And who knows, if they lose mm-hmm. that game, maybe it's because they didn't get that power play and they didn't score in, in regulation. And I yeah. know it's... It's very early, but the Colorado Avalanche aren't locked into any sort of a playoff spot right now either with all the injuries they have. They'll be fine. They're fine. They'll be they'll, they'll be fine. The other thing that the other thing that I wonder about too because the reaction is some of the reaction is, well, look at this guy standing up for fair play and sportsmanship and integrity and all that. What if that's a playoff game? No chance. And he waves off the call. What's what's the reaction from Avalanche fans? Go to that Stanley Cup Game 7 and Makar waves off a call. I don't think we're talking about integrity and buying the benefit of the doubt. We're talking about what the hell are you thinking? Uh, hour two is coming up. We'll ask Billy Jaffe about that. We'll start it off and then we'll get into the Boston Bruins. I don't know. What's the question for Billy? Are the Bruins great or really great? Really interesting. Bruins are hot. No shock. Talk to Jaffe in moments. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptors Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. A couple of things here before we get to Billy Jaffe from Nesson uh, talking about the Boston Bruins, who just refused to lose. Uh, really interesting piece right now available at sportsnet.ca. It is uh, Ryan Dixon and, and Jason Bukala uh, going through trade possibilities here. The Vancouver Canucks and Bo Horvat for potential trade destinations and some proposals as well. Now, I'll add a couple of things to this. If they're trading to player uh, teams that aren't making the playoffs, I would imagine the contingency would be 
you're allowed to talk to the player to work out a um, uh, to work out a, a a long-term extension. So the first one that they mention, this is interesting. So Montreal gets Bo Horvat, Vancouver gets David Savard, Jaden Struble, both defensemen, Owen Beck. You look really good at camp. Uh, 2023 first rounder, 2024 fourth rounder. Ooh, that first-rounder looks good. I don't think anybody wants to let go of their first-rounders this year, especially teams that are at the bottom or near the bottom. And again, that would have to that would have to involve um, the Montreal Canadiens uh, signing Bo Horvat to a contract extension. I'm going to go through a couple of more of these here in a couple of minutes, um, but just have a peek. Sportsnet.ca, Ryan Dixon alongside Jason Bukala, four potential trade destinations for Bo Horvat and I should mention one of them, dun, 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 are the Boston Bruins. And with that, we'll bring on uh, our good friend Billy Jaffe from Nesson and the Morning Brew Podcast. How you doing today, Billy? Jeffy, what's happening, buddy? How hey, you buddy. doing? Hey. Uh, I'm doing well. Before we get to the Boston Bruins, I want to ask you about Kale McCarr. And <laughs> Kale McCarr yesterday... Now, I know you are someone that stands up for decency and fair play and sportsmanship. So Billy Jaffe looked at that play and said, good for you, young man. That's the thing that, you know, that's integrity. And these are the type of people we want on our team. And these are the things we make commercials for to show our children, to show show them how to behave and, and play sports the right way with the right things in mind. So I'm sure that you looked at that. And in your own personal way, saluted Kale McCarr for his sportsmanship. True or false, Billy Jaffe? Yeah, I burnt the video so none of my kids on the Boston Junior Eagles saw that. Because uh, <laughs> coming up for a big <laughs> No, no. no. Um, and no listen, Kale McCarr, you know, it, it, he it admitted like uh, he almost felt guilty. Or not not almost felt guilty, right? So it, eventually they wash out. The calls, you're going to get some calls. I mean, that shouldn't have gone your way and do. And usually, don't you remember, Jeff, you see those guys on the bench kind of covering, chuckling a little bit or covering their mouths with their glove a little bit as if to say, oh, geez, I was surprised that was called or we got lucky there. And it worked out the other way too. But, I mean, this one was so obvious and so so not a penalty that I think he even had guilt that, oh, my gosh, they actually called the penalty. Like, in his heart of hearts, he couldn't take it. But he's a good kid. He's obviously an beyond good player he's an all everything player he's a generational player and he made a uh, he made a nice statement there i'm curious to see too if it because things go viral in this world i'm curious to see if it if how many young kids out there do something similar the next time something like that happens to them and their coaches like you billy with your team should say well done young man Way to stand up for sportsmanship. <laughs> yes, I'm with you. Right, I Billy? Yes, yes. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do think one thing. I think that, you know, you can't win trophies in December, but I think you did just win the Lady Bing uh, last night by that move. Okay, <laughs> let's get on the, uh, the – the, you probably did. Um, let's get on the Boston Bruins page here. This team is just clubbing other squads. I mean, you know, stop the fight, um, throw in the towel. Like, you're playing the Boston Bruins, specifically if you're playing the Boston Bruins uh, and the Bruins are at home, good luck. Just try to minimize the damage. What is so different 
about this team? Because, you know, we're, like all of us, went into this season saying it's going to be a struggle for the Bruins because of the injuries. You know, they've come out of the gates red hot, and they haven't cooled off. You know how teams just sort of settle into the season? The Bruins haven't settled into the season. They're playing red hot hockey, and they're not taking the foot off the pedal. Billy, what gives? Well, first of all, um, you're right about coming out of the gate hot. And we, and you and I talked, geez, I think it was a month ago, uh, just about how this team, we didn't expect this, you know, but we thought they could be yeah. good if they could handle their injuries. And they did, and they were really good. And then, oh, my gosh, they're better than really good. They are freaking awesome the way they're going. Now, they haven't played as, as well lately, Jeff. They're still winning. And that's a testament to their depth. That's a testament to their leadership, and it's a testament to their goaltending because Linus Olmark, and at times Swayman, but most, a lot of times Linus Olmark has been awesome. They have a big-looking win from last night's game, Jeff, 7-3, right? The numbers pop out at you. Yeah. But i got to tell you something. It wasn't a 7-3 game. I know it was 4 nothing, and they probably shouldn't have been 4 nothing. Spencer Knight did not have a good night. And then all of a sudden, Florida found their legs, their skates, their offensive kind of vibe. And the Bruins struggled with that a bit. And Linus Olmark makes a save at 5-3 on Gustav Forsling that is unbelievable. And then things settle down, and the Bruins go on to win 7-3, and it looks like, oh, they had an easy time. They didn't. The thing about the Bruins right now, their depth in so many places have been tremendous. So you got a couple of games where Patrice Bergeron doesn't score. And then yet last night he's got four points. You know, you can go three or four games without Marchand or Bergeron scoring because, oh, by the way, Taylor Hall or Charlie Coyle or Hampus Lindholm, whomever. Oh, but I forgot. They got a guy by the name of David Pasternak who has only had, what, nine, ten games in a row with points. Their depth has been tremendous. Their defense has been great. But their goaltending really has been their bedrock. You know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Taylor Hall there because it's not as if he's playing – you know, top line here um, with, with Patrice Bergeron. Here's a guy who's second in scoring, the Boston Bruins. David Pasternak is clearly number one. Um, and Taylor Hall is number two. And I don't think that if you asked anybody outside of a Boston Bruins fan um, who the number two scorer was on the Boston Bruins, I'm not sure how many would, would have said Taylor Hall. But there it is. And a lot of it is in a bottom six role. Explain this phenomenon, Billy. Um, you're absolutely right. It's bottom six, but it's on the, you know, stop the hyperbole statement, but I'll say it anyways, maybe the best third line in the game right now, at least, because Charlie Coyle has been mm. tremendous. Trent Frederick, uh, a player that some people might not be as familiar with, first-round pick from, geez, I think six years ago now or so, coming into his own big, solid yeah, winger, getting very confident, worked his butt off on his skating, Jeff. You I mean his edge work and his skating, his straight line, so much faster. He's much lower in his stance now. But you're going to get Taylor Hall, the former MVP of the league from a couple of years ago. And so these guys, yes, are in the bottom six, but they're still playing a lot. I mean, Hall's averaging over 16 minutes of ice. Coyle averages, I think, over 17-something. Yep. Because he, they're playing special teams. Special teams an awful lot for these guys. Especially Hall gets power play. Coyle gets a ton of PK. And then they get the mismatch, especially at home. They're getting great matchups. And, you know, they're getting their points in different ways, but they're, they're fast, and they are puck possession wizards. That's what they are. 
you know, you know, Taylor likes to transport the puck. You know this well. We've talked about it. He's a winger that wants the puck on his stick. Hall, uh, uh, Coyle, yep. is a monster with regard to puck possession. Doesn't always shoot enough. We always want to do it more. But when the two of them possess it like they do, your defense then breaks down, and you're like, how, who do we take? And then, oh, by the way, Frederick starts getting open, and he's starting to score. So that's how they're doing it. And I go back to, as well, the matchups. It's, it's, it's all right, you got to watch Bergeron's line, but wait a second. Krejci's got Pasternak with him. So you've exhausted your top four D. Now your third pair lock goes against the coil line. It's, uh, it's so well balanced and it's so well spread out. And the one thing that I keep coming back to as well, uh, you have McAvoy playing with Grizzlick and Lindholm playing with Carlo. So no offense to, to Grizzlick and Carlo, but, you know, for the majority of the game, you either have Charlie McAvoy on or you have Hampus Lindholm on. Good luck, everybody. Here's McAvoy, who's should always be in the Norris Trophy conversation, and Hampus Lindholm, who's right underneath him. Like this is like just structurally the way this team is put together. Like, good. I mean, what a luxury for Jim Montgomery, right? Like, you always like, okay, I wanted, I want my team to drive like a Ferrari. Well, you got it in the Boston Bruins on all of on you know pretty much all of your lines and your top four. Like, what a luxury. You can either have Charlie McAvoy on the ice or Hampus Lindholm for pretty much the whole game. Enjoy that, Jim Montgomery. Enjoy it. Yeah, and and when, and we know that Jim Montgomery loves to mix up his forwards, okay, especially his top top nine. He really likes to shake it up. It's not even a shake-up. It's just mix it up. Uh, Sometimes some certain player needs to do a little more of this, and sometimes he just likes a different eye test for that, too. So he'll mix them up regularly we're also starting to see that jeff with the d pairs so last night in the first period mcavoy played with each of the three left shot defensemen lindholm Grizzlick, and then Derek forbert who's having a tremendous impact mm-hmm. on this team especially as their top left penalty killing left def- left shooting defenseman on penalty kill carlo is their top pk guy on the right side but he's using mcavoy with all them now he is at home put together Lindholm and McAvoy, depending on the competition, more than, you know, than we saw on the road. Because to your point on the road, if you split them up, you get one of them playing basically you know, every other or every one-and-a-half shift, so to speak, it works out. Because they each play 24 minutes when, they, when they're, you know, the ter- certain game. But at home, if he wants to load up that pair of McAvoy and Lindholm, holy smokes, he puts them there together, and they gobble up the opponent's top line, too. So it is... It is a luxury. The trade for Hampus Lindholm will go down as it, it, it should, at least right now, as, as one of the best that, that Don Sweeney's ever made. I mean, to get him and then to get him signed, absolutely mammoth to bring this. Like, this kid was always good, mm-hmm. right? I think the last couple of years in Anaheim, there was a struggle. I think we know that, right? But this guy, Hampus Lindholm, this year, is, at, at the age of just turning 29, looks like a whole new player on the back end. Yeah. Uh, interesting player, really interesting person as well. He's not a, he's not your traditional hockey guy who's just interested in traditional hockey things. Like I'm not sure if you've if you've ever been able to really, you know, uh, have deep conversations with him or get to know Lindholm. Like he is a, I love it. Like he is a profoundly different dude. Like if you just met him on the street, just had a conversation, I don't know if you could guess what he does for a living, Billy. I really don't. His interests you're, are so are so right. wide. Yeah, you're you're right. Except for you know being six three, six four, two, 
215 or so, 218, <laughs> and, you know, looking like an athlete. Yeah. You're, 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 you're right. I yeah. mean, he, 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 just, he, he has a wide variety or, or, or a swath of interest. Um, I have had a chance to talk to him. Um, not as much as I'd like, but we, we had him on the podcast, and he's very articulate, uh, cerebral, thoughtful. Um, you know, he loves being in a city like Boston. He is absolutely relishing it, Jeff. He loves the walking around. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he's in the North End area. The vibe for him is, I think it's really stimulating. Um, he is, you know, his family gets to be there a lot. It's important for him that they get to, you know, experience that with, you know, this with him too. And he's the kind of guy that you can tell that is, there's more to him than just a, a hockey player. And, and I think that you see his kind of calmness off the ice. And, it, 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 you know, I'm making a generalization here. It seems very Swedish, right? But I think that translates to him on the ice, too. I mean, Jeff, his patience with the puck, his patience is sublime. It's an extra half second where he'll move his top hand a little bit. You think he's going to pass short to the left. And the next thing you know, he's taken a stride to the right. He's opened up about three feet of ice, and he makes a pass instead of four feet. That's 14 feet, and it helps the Bruins exit the zone into a, a legit rush. I mean, it's really been, it's been eye-opening. Again, we saw him last year a bit, but he was injured at times, and we didn't see him fully ensconced in the system that, you know, that obviously Jim Montgomery brought in with him, too, and the encouragement of D getting involved. He's been tremendous. I mean, you can't have... A conversation. He might not win the Norris, but you have to say that thirty-something games into the season, Lindholm deserves talk in that category. Yeah, he's uh, listen. I, I think he's sort of been hidden in the Western Conference uh, for a long time with the Anaheim Ducks. At times, there have been stretches where he was the best defenseman in the Western Conference, uh, and that's even with the presence of someone like Drew Doughty uh, or Kale McCarr. Uh, and I think everybody, uh, I think everybody is certainly in the East. Uh, everybody knows how good he is now. Uh, let me ask you about Craig Smith. A couple of minutes left here with you. Uh, you mentioned Jim Montgomery and the new system coming in. It's uh, more up tempo. It's a little bit more space. It looks a lot more fun uh, for the players to play this system. When we look at Craig Smith, do we say to ourselves? He's maybe just the victim of not fitting in with that and was closer to a Bruce Cassidy-style coach team than a Jim Montgomery-coached squad. Would that be accurate, Billy? Um, there, I mean, there may be a little element to that, but I, you know, this just seems like to me that a, a player that just hasn't been able to find rhythm yet. Um, and and mm-hmm. look, Jeff, maybe that's something to do with the system, but the, you know, Greg Smith can skate. We know that he loves to shoot, and when he's good, you know, he's shooting usually at about a 9, probably 10% shooting accurate, uh, shooting percent uh, clip. Uh, this year he's not. I mean, he's not, he's, he's not getting interior as much. Um, it is a little bit more puck possession and type of play, you know, where they're moving with the puck. But it just hasn't, you know, last year didn't work for Nick Foligno. Now, partly that was because he wasn't healthy and, Partly is just this, the, the way that, you know, translating his game to the Bruins, et cetera. This year, it's working for him, especially in his role. But, you know, the depth of the Bruins has maybe put Craig into a different role, too. And because it has translated to a lot of what he's known for, shooting and scoring. You know, this is a 20-goal guy, was it five times, I think, with the Nashville Predators when he was here? Probably would have had yeah. 20 in his last year with them, too, if it wasn't for COVID, et cetera. Um, maybe it's some style, but also maybe it's just where it's at in his career. And 
he hasn't been able to be consistent. Now, I will say that. His last few games, Jeff, have been better. It's still only 10 minutes, give or take, of ice time. So it's the old hockey version of chicken and the egg. What comes first? You know, better play equals more ice time or get a little bit more ice time and then better play comes. And on a team as deep, and as we want to go back to the beginning of our conversation, as deep as the Bruins are, you know, it's hard to take Pavel Zaka, who's been beautiful for this team, or, again, Frederick. He's done his job. It's hard to take one of those guys away from their spot, which is where Craig Smith might be able to move up to. Um, Billy, this has been great. Uh, the Boston Bruins have two games before the break, and, and they're tough ones, the Winnipeg Jets and the New Jersey Devils. Uh, enjoy, the, enjoy those two. We will catch up after the holidays, my friend. You be well. You too. Happy, healthy to everybody. Take care. There he is, the, uh, the wonderful and, and talented uh, and intelligent Billy Jaffe uh, from Nesson and the Morning Brew Podcast, along with Andrew Raycroft. All about the Boston Bruins, folks. Check that one out if you're a fan of the Bees. And, yeah, this is a team that's just just continues to truck along. And I, I do think that Taylor Hall should probably be more of a story uh, at this point. And, you know, it was interesting hearing Billy talk about, um, you know, he's a, he's a winger that needs the puck. And I think we can all recall, you know, that first season, that first season that Connor McDavid started in the NHL, like from game one against the St. Louis Blues, you know, we all wondered, okay, how is this Taylor Hall, Connor McDavid combination going to work out, right? Because that was the obvious one. Oh, man, two elite players uh, put McDavid with uh, with Taylor Hall, and it didn't really work. And the reason was most likely these are two players that need the puck on their stick a lot. McDavid needs it on his stick. He's a big, you know, gather speed, the neutral zone. And so is Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall has always been that player going back to junior and probably before that as well. He needs the puck on his stick and he goes to the net hard. Um, That didn't really work out well, if at all, uh, for the Oilers. You know, interestingly enough, as I recall, you know, there were stretches where the combination of McDavid and Benoit Pouliot and Neil Yakupov may have been, you know, for stretches, you know, and at times, you know, the best line on that team. You know, Benoit Pouliot would do all the grunt work, all the board work, all the fetch and retrieve work. Uh, McDavid would be the one that would have the puck on his stick the most, and he would be the, the creative one. And all Neil Yakupov had to do was shoot. McDavid's going to get you the puck. We don't want you handling it. We don't want you making plays. If McDavid is giving you the puck, you just need to have yourself in position to shoot. That was it. I liked that line. <laughs> I really did. I mean, I always liked, you know, specifically Benoit Pouliot, but I just liked that combination and just the simplicity of look, McDavid and Pouliot are going to do both the heavy lifting and the creativity. Nail, when you get the puck, just shoot. Just shoot. That's all we need you uh, to do. The Boston Bruins, their heater continues. Um, and there are players that are going to be looking at hardware. And players are going to be looking at trophies. You know, uh, McAvoy is going to be in the conversation again for the Norris Trophy, despite, you know, missing those games to start the season. He's only played 18 games, but he looks fantastic again. Linus Allmark is going to be in the conversation for the Vesna. I mean, he'll be in that convo. Elias Roken will be in that convo. Um, Connor Hallebuck, he may be the clubhouse leader here, although many will argue Linus Allmark. Uh, he'll be in that one as well. 
Um, the Patrice Bergeron Award, soon to be formally known as the Selkie Trophy. <laughs> you know, he'll be in that one again, although there are new contestants uh, for that one, namely the guy in New Jersey, uh, the captain, uh, the, the Swiss guy. What's his name again? Oh, yeah, Heischer. Uh, is in that conversation now. Uh, comeback player of the year, if they had an award like that. Uh, Carl Eric Carlson in San Jose would probably win it, uh, but Jake DeBrusque would have to be in that conversation as well. Like, this is an intriguing team. Like, we all thought, okay, we'll see what happens here. Is David Krejci going to come back? He has and played well on that check line with Zaka and Pasternak. That's a fun one to watch, right? And then we all wondered until late in the season about Patrice Bergeron. And he said, okay, one more time. And who knows about the future? Who knows where Bergeron's going to be next season? Um, maybe Bergeron and Krejci, maybe only one of them is there. Maybe neither of them uh, is there. You know, Pasternak will have a big ticket extension. Brad Marchand would still be there. You wonder about centers that can replace either one of those two. We think of Bohorvat, obviously. That's an interesting one. Uh, we still do wonder about Dylan Larkin with the Detroit Red Wings. He's without contract at the end of the season, although it very much does have a Steven Stamkos, Steve Eiserman, Tampa Bay Lightning feel about this, that the team has said, this is our number and we're not budging. Um, and this may go right down to the wire, not unlike what the Stamkos deal was and how that worked itself out. Um, Dylan Larkin on the Boston Bruins. Just put it out there. It's Tuesday afternoon, Hockey Talk Radio. Bo Horvat, Dylan Larkin, both looking at each other for what their number is going to be, both saying thank you to players like Matthew Barzell for their deal and what it's going to mean for theirs. But as for right now, and that's all Boston's caring about right now, this is a team that could win the Stanley Cup. Flat out, full stop, that is the uh, obvious statement of the day from yours truly. If this team just stays healthy, and that's always the wild card, and you know the Boston Bruins will do something around trade deadline uh, to help this team, this team as comprised right now could win the Stanley Cup. And I know there's a, buff- a lot of Buffalo Sabres fans that are still... You know, that are still peeved at their organization, maybe for uh, for letting Linus Allmark go. And now you look at the performance. We've always been waiting for that goaltender to emerge, and here he is with the Boston Bruins. Buffalo Sabres spent a lot of money and time helping to develop that netminder. And let's not forget, too, Linus Allmark, who was, you know, heading into unrestricted free agency, Before the Seattle expansion draft, he was protected. He was protected by the Buffalo Sabres because they thought he was coming back. I can only imagine. You know phone calls you want to be part of just to hear the other side's reaction? I would have loved to have heard the Buffalo reaction to Linus Allmark and his camp saying, yeah, I'm not coming back. I'm testing free agency after you just protected him <laughs> in the Seattle expansion draft, uh, thinking you were going to get him back. That was one of the weird ones too. Like we looked at Buffalo and said, expiring deal. What are they doing? How do they expect? How are they 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 protecting Linus Allmark here? Nonetheless, 
he looks flat out fantastic. I think a lot of us still are waiting for uh, Jeremy Swayman, uh, whose performance hasn't been up to you know Linus Allmark standards, but we know there's a better goaltender in there than what we've seen in the 11 games we've seen him Swayman. Anyhow, uh, really good team, uh, a lot of fun to watch. The one one of the knocks against Boston is over the past few years, at times haven't exactly been the most exciting team to watch. Certainly some great performances. Um, but Jim Montgomery, and you know, there's another you know potential award winner as well, the Jack Adams. Um, Jim Montgomery's sort of loosened up the team a little bit here, more free skating, more room, more room for creativity, more room for a defenseman to not just join play, but dare I say lead rushes, jump into rushes, go end-to-end in the three-on-three overtime. We've seen Hampus Lindholm uh, do that before. That would have been the game against, I think it was the Red Wings, where he went end to end to end it um, in the uh, in the overtime. It's a fun team to watch, and I know that Billy mentions that you know the score wasn't indicative of the play, but still, at the end of it, the Boston Bruins clubbing the Florida Panthers by a score of seven to three. Patrice Bergeron with four points, and Brad Marchand with a uh, casual three assists. Just go ahead and put him over there. Uh, so last night was an intriguing one around the NHL. If you're following the Ovechkin watch, gripping the stick too tight, who knows? Uh, he's still he's still stuck, still chasing Gordy before he gets uh, Wayne Gretzky clear and in his sights. Um, so he's still stuck. Uh, tonight around the NHL, a couple of interesting games, and we have this one early on Sportsnet, uh, 7 o'clock Eastern, Pittsburgh Penguins and the New York Rangers. Rangers are, um, like, they might be right now as we speak today. The hottest team in the NHL. I always come shy of saying best just because you're on the longest winning streak necessarily. But the Rangers are real good. Playing outstanding hockey. Penguins have been fantastic lately as well. Uh, the Rangers and the Penguins get underway at 7 o'clock Eastern. Also, that one's on Sportsnet. Also, the Philadelphia Flyers take on the Columbus Blue Jackets. Two teams there where we wonder you know, when the official throwing of the towel is going to be. When the official, and maybe we're already there, and it just hasn't been made public. <sighs> Philadelphia Flyers are in a tough spot. I would have to think that a change of direction, certainly after the break, is one that um, one that we could probably see happening. I'm not sure how deep the changes go, uh, but the Columbus Blue Jackets as well. Uh, I think we wonder about them with players like Jacob Chikrin. I think we wonder about the Columbus Blue Jackets, even with players like Bo Horvat, if they're allowed to talk to him and, and, and sign a contract extension. They need centers. Well, first of all, Columbus needs to stay healthy. That's the huge one. And you can make the same point as well about the Philadelphia Flyers. Sean Couturier, Cam Atkinson exhibits A and B. Um, for the Blue Jackets, whether it's you know Voracek or Wierenski, go right down the list. Like There's been key Patrick Line injuries to this team. Not exactly the best way to hype up a game, but there it is. Uh, the Flyers and the Blue Jackets. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes face off against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, that should be a good one. Devils have all of a sudden dropped a handful in a row. Not good for them, but no one's going to feel bad for the New Jersey Devils considering they grabbed a playoff spot in November. 
no one's feeling bad for the Devils. Uh, Carolina Hurricanes still without Sebastian Ajo, but they're still amongst the elite in the NHL. The Toronto Maple Leafs face off against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Winnipeg Jets and the Ottawa Senators. We mentioned the Kraken and the Blues. Uh, that should be an intriguing one. Back-to-back after the Blues stuck it to the Vancouver Canucks last night. That one on Sportsnet won. Uh, the Kings and the Ducks. When are the Kings going to call up Quentin Byfield? That's got to be soon, right? Guys ripping up the American League. Uh, Flames and the Sharks as well. 10.30 Eastern. Watch that one on Sportsnet West. Uh, we're going to hit a break. We're going to come back and talk to Andrew Hammond, who called it a career yesterday. Yes, the Hamburglar, who we think of from that great stretch with the Ottawa Senators, getting him into a wild card spot. That's one of the teams that we look at and point to and say, even if it feels like you're out of it, all you need is a super hot goalie to go on a run and you always point to the Hamburglar, Andrew Hammond, and the Ottawa Senators. We'll talk to Andrew Hammond here in a couple of moments, who officially called it a career yesterday. Hamburglar next, as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, there are um, there are just some players in the history of the game that no matter who you are, if you know the player, no matter which team you cheer for, when you hear the player's name, you smile because of some of the great moments he gave us, some of the great, in this case, stretches of games he gave us a great nickname, some great visuals. Andrew Hammond is one of those players. It is impossible to say the name Andrew Hammond without smiling. I know I'm doing it right now. Andrew Hammond called it a career officially yesterday, announcing it on social media. He joins me here today. Andrew, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? I'm doing really well. How about yourself? Uh, I'm, I'm doing good. So it was the, uh, the ankle injury. Ultimately, that's the, the, the main reason why you're, you're wrapping up the career. Yeah. Um, I, I would have liked to play a little bit longer, but to be honest, um, I, I think the way my whole career unfolded and everything and all the crazy turns and stretches and all the other stuff in between, um, the, the, I guess the trade to Montreal last year. And then I guess, New Jersey. Um, I'm, I'm pretty at peace with things and um, getting, I guess, one last rodeo in, in Ottawa was great too. So um, the ankle is kind of the, the reason why, but um, I, I I was joking with some people the other day and I, I felt like I just hit a lot of 649 for my whole career. So um, I wasn't someone who <laughs> grew up thinking that I would get one game or two games or 10 games or whatever it might be. So uh, the fact I got as many as I did is uh, the cherry on top. You know, you mentioned in your post yesterday about uh, St. Patrick's Day 2013 signing uh, with the Ottawa Senators, undrafted free agent. Uh, take us back to that moment. Like, what goes through your mind when you're you're signing your name and you're saying, well, you know, I would love to, you know, growing up in B.C., been an NHL goaltender, never thinking it might happen, and here I am signing an NHL contract. Well, I'll, I'll, now I can give you the real story about that. So, so St. Patrick's Day um, in college in Bowling Green is a, a big day. Um, the bars open at 5 a.m. The night before, we lost out to the University of Notre Dame in playoffs. 
I had told my agent before the season I didn't know if I was going to be signing in the ECHL, SPHL, AHL, whatever. Um, So I told him to just let me know after the season ended. So that night we uh, get home from Notre Dame, late bus, I think 2 in the morning, and we decided to stay up. We were all done. We all thought we were retired. So then 5 in the morning we go for St. Patrick's Day. 8.30 in the morning you get a text message from my agent. And uh, <laughs> I, I guess you could say my life changed <laughs> since then, but um, not a lot of people know that story. That That's kind of how that day unfolded for me. And I think some emotional phone calls after that with my parents and all that stuff. But um, that's kind For of sure. uh, the, the, the moment where it all started. So you had started drinking at 5 a.m. and then 8.30 you got this text saying, hold on no, a second, you no, need to no, put no, on a no, pot of coffee? No, <laughs> no, that would be wrong to start drinking at 5 a.m. We just didn't stop the night before. So uh, we just continued oh. on, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, okay no, so that's no just part sleep. of a stretch run. Like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, what a great the, the yeah. night the night continues into the morning. That's uh Exactly. Oh man, that's wonderful. Uh yeah. that's such a well, I'll tell you, like you've like I mentioned off the top, like you gave us some some tremendous memories and that run in two thousand and fifteen. You know, I was mentioning before you came on, like your performance in that run, you know, still gets pointed to to this day where teams will say, hey, you know what, we may be out of it in January here, but it's happened before. Look at the Ottawa Senators with yep. Andrew Hammond back in 2015. When when you think back to that, are there certain games that you remember? Like, there's one that I want to get to here, but w- which games stand out for you during that run? Um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say all of them, but um, I would say the, the Carolina game, knowing that we hadn't won in, I don't know, 10 years or something crazy, 20 games, um, winning that game and just the way it kind of unfolded and um, the Pittsburgh game, um, I think there was three or four games left in the season. That was kind of the one where it, was, it really felt like, okay, we're going to do this thing. Um, but there, there's a number of them, but like the – I would say that the Carolina game always sticks out to me. Maybe it's because I'm in Raleigh right now as we speak, but um, that's definitely kind of uh-huh. the the one that kind of parlayed it into, I guess, where we went. Uh, I do want to ask about the Philadelphia game because I think that was the one where you clinched it, and I remember everyone pouring mm-hmm. off the bench, and what a fantastic visual that was. But but during that run, and I, Andrew, I want to say it was against Winnipeg, but I'm not 100% sure. So the story yeah. that I'm told is during war, during warm-up, like everything was going in. Like it's just one of those warm-ups where it's like, oh man, I can't, I can't stop anything. I don't know what's with me. All of a sudden, I'm, you know, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really hard to hit out there. Everything, and people, people had people from your from your team had uh, had gone to your coach saying like, I, I don't know about this game. You ended up playing and completely stood on your head. A was that Winnipeg, and B, what do you remember from that game? Um, that, that definitely was Winnipeg, but there's a little bit more to that story. So, um, we had played the night prior in Minnesota and we lost in a shootout and I think they had 35 or 40 days or something. And that was after our California swing, I believe. And I was, I was excited for a night off, I think. And, uh, the morning of, we go have our meeting and all that stuff and, Craig was coming back from an injury at that point, and I was under the impression that he was going to play that night. Um, and I go back to my room, and I see on Twitter that 
there was a lineup change and that I would be playing again and that uh, Craig wasn't ready to return yet. But two minutes later, I get a phone call from the goalie coach. Hey, you're going to play again tonight. Uh, normally, in that situation, I wouldn't be having coffee in the morning. I'd try to sleep as much as I can during the day. I had coffee thinking I had the night off. I show up at the game, and I could just tell I wasn't feeling my best. And uh, we go into warm-ups, and I remember there's a little corridor in Winnipeg between the training room and the locker room, and Turris came up to me, and he was like, are you sure you're okay? Like, we can have – I forget who it was. It might have been Chris Drieger at the time or something. He's like, they can play like we need rest. And I was like, no, I'm fine, but literally every shot went into warm-ups. I had a, yeah. a Red Bull, and that was kind of – I guess what started me uh, feeling better and the, uh, the I think it was like two minutes into the game, I didn't make a big save. And then from that point, it's kind of adrenaline and all that stuff takes over. But the warm-up was definitely probably the worst of my pro career. <laughs> that sounds like a Red Bull ad to me. Like all of a sudden you put together this like, great PSA for, for Red Bulls if you're, if you're having a bad warm-up. Um, let me, that, that, I mean, that's such a great story too. Um, let me ask you about the Philadelphia game when you clinched it. Like, what are guys saying to you? What are you feeling as the seconds are, are counting? Take us back to Philadelphia when you guys clinched that playoff spot. Um, I mean, it was, I don't know. It, it's a lot of, I guess, emotions where it's like we had worked so hard for, I don't know, two, three months almost at that point where it was kind of the yep. um, the end, end point for us where it was either we do it or we don't, and it seemed like, all along it's it's just kind of like a weird life lesson where everything kind of come to a halt in one game but it was basically one game either we do it or we don't and uh if we don't who knows maybe i'm not talking to you and i'm just cast under the rug (laughs) another uh journeyman goaltender type thing but um we got it done and the the one thing i mean the the after the game the flight home and all that stuff those are like the memories as a player that you're always going to remember are the, the fun plane trips and bus rides and all that stuff. And we had so many fans waiting at the airport for us just because we got into the playoffs. And that speaks to kind of the fans in Ottawa and all that stuff and um, how much they, I guess, enjoyed that kind of flying back into the playoffs and all that stuff. And to be honest, I don't think anyone was too upset that we didn't get out of the first round that year. So maybe that's how you got to do it. <laughs> Listen, man, I mean, that run was so, was so much fun. And along the way, uh, there was a nickname, the Hamburglar. And we remember, you know, Curtis Lazar picking up the hamburger off the ice and taking a bite. And Upper Deck has a, a card of you uh, picking up a hamburger yeah. off the ice. Um, there were all kinds of stories that, um, that McDonald's gave you food for life. Do you still have the food for life McDonald's card in Ottawa? Um. I don't know if I can answer that truthfully or not because I I was given, I don't know, I'll say six gift cards that, I don't know, a few hundred bucks from McDonald's of the local franchisees in the area. Right. Um, but I was right. also given a gold card in a frame with a picture of myself holding the cheeseburger up. And that's more, <laughs> I, I'm, I won't try that card, but that's like a, in case of emergency, <laughs> if I really need a hamburger or something, I can break the glass. But um, yeah, so it, it may be unlimited, but I don't, I don't know, and I'm not uh, gonna gonna try it. I guess you're not about to test it. What did you uh, what what did you think when you saw Curtis Lazar eating a burger off the ice? 
Uh, first, firstly, uh, that's disgusting. Uh, secondly, was uh, <laughs> I just remember I might have been Chieton. There's a few guys saying you got to pick it, you got to pick it up, pick it up. And I don't know when it kind of turned into this big thing where the Hamburglar nickname superseded everything, but um, it felt like the right time. And at that point, we couldn't do anything wrong. So. Um, yeah, it seemed like uh, the natural progression of things, how things were going. That me picking up a hamburger was only going to add to our hot streak, and it did. Um, last question for you. I know this is all fresh. You just uh, made your announcement yesterday, Andrew. But what do you want to do now? Do you want to stay in the game? Do you want to get away from the game for a while? What does Andrew Hammond want to do now? So first and foremost, I I love hockey. I think it's ingrained in me ingrained in me as a Canadian kid who grew up watching Hawkman and Can and all that stuff. Right now I'm actually working for Biosteel. Um I get to stay in the game. I work with uh a lot of the Eastern Conference teams right now. Um the announcement yesterday was more I guess formality than anything. I'd kind of been at peace with myself uh with the decision yep. and all that for a little while but uh first month on the job and spreading all the the good news about uh, the hydration benefits of biofuel and work with the teams and still seeing players and equipment staff and medical staff and strength coaches and all that stuff. So I'm still around and I still get to see people that uh, obviously were a big part of my life for a lot of years. And that part's been great so far. Well, listen, uh, whatever you end up doing full-time here, and that's great working with, uh, with BioSteel. I wish you the best. Uh, thanks for the memories. Uh, you know that your place in the game is solid and is now folklore, and people will reference your name and that run for years and years. So congratulations on really, you know, to, to your point earlier, really making the most out of this really dreamy NHL career. It's been, it was a lot of fun watching yep. you. And uh, I wish you nothing but the most success in, uh, in in your second career. No, thank you very much. I appreciate that, Jeff. Uh, there he is, Andrew Hammond, uh, who called it a career officially yesterday, um, who played 67 games in the NHL and made the most of it. And that run, man, like that run was... Um, you know, if you're a, a newer fan and you weren't around to watch hockey in 2015, that was a spectacular fun run by the Ottawa Senators as they, you know, just charged to a playoff spot. And Andrew Hammond was front and center. Like that was a, you know, that was a team that has like, you know, Eric Carlson on it and Zibanejad and Mark Stone and reference Kyle Turris. Um, and it was fun. Like it was a fun team to watch and a fun story. Um, a really wonderful uh, head coach in Paul McLean, uh, who we all loved. Um, good times, good times. And uh, thanks to the Hamburglar uh, for stopping by. Matty Marchese is going to pop on the show here for a little wrap-up of, of Andrew Hammond. Uh, I loved that run. I don't think you have to be a fan of the Ottawa Senators to appreciate that run, just because it was, A, the nickname, um, the Curtis Lazar, the picking up the burgers, like, all of it, Maddie, and I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that I got that story right about the about Winnipeg and how he had like the worst warm up of all time. Like, Maddie, like from what I'm from what I'm told, everything went in, and there were people on the team that went to Paul McLean and said he can't play today, like he can't stop anything. He's hard to hit. Everything is going in, and things happen when you start to play and make one big save early in the game. Your thoughts on Andrew Hammond, Maddie?
Yeah, you know, one of the one of the great characters of of hockey because like you mentioned, he didn't play a ton of NHL games, but it's one of those rare oh. cases where he's it's a person that made such an impact in such a short period of time that didn't really like it's not like you know, um, a, a player like, you know, Eric Lindros that played what we think is a relatively short time, but had a huge impact on the game or, or players like that. Like, this is a player that had a, a very short NHL career, but in that span, because of, for, because of circumstance and because of the way he played in that short span, has, like you said, cemented his legacy uh, among hockey fans. I, I can't really think of a player other than him that is like that over the past, I don't know, 30 years. Like the only guy that comes to my mind that would have any sort of impact because when you hear the name, you go, oh yeah, I remember that guy is a guy you mentioned on the program last week. And that's Link Gates. That was also for the wrong reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll never grow tired of hearing Link Gates stories. I remember in the, uh, in the old Quebec semi-pro league, the uh, the LNAH league, when he was playing there, I mean, he'd been scratched a bunch. And what did Link do? He took off his equipment, except for, he, but he, it was just like his top. So he took off his shoulder pads, his elbow pads, and went just down to his dry fit and went and sat in the stands behind his team's bench eating hot dogs because he wasn't hitting the ice. So he just said, screw it, I'm going to go sit with the fans and just eat hot dogs. Uh, for the rest of the game. Um, I mean, one of my favorite things about this sport is because it's so hard to get a handle on goaltenders. And we've seen goalies. So we, Elliot and I were talking about this, and he referenced Steve Penny. And there were other goalies, like we think of, you know, Blaine Locker, etc. Like goalies that'll have that run um, because players aren't used to them. And it's not saying that it's easy to have it when you first join the NHL, but it's easier until the book gets written on you and Hammond just had one of those magical runs. Again, not a huge NHL career, but we're always going to say the name, and we're always going to talk about the Hamburglar. So cool. Uh, thanks to Andrew Hammond, and congrats to Andrew Hammond on making the most uh, of his career. Thanks to Andrew Hammond for stopping by. Billy Jaffe of Nesson, uh, Ben Goats of the Las Vegas Review-Journal, and Elliot Friedman, Jen Rolnick, Lance Kennedy, Matt Marchese. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Merrick Show back tomorrow, noon Eastern, across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet Now and Sportsnet 360. Enjoy the rest of your day.